Draw. Welcome to Umtap Upkeep. I'm Jason, and if I could keep a tribe as a pet, it would definitely be the dragons. And I'm Nick, your other host. And if I pay my commander tax, does that mean I get a commander tax return? Oh, God. <laughs> uh... So today's flavor text of the day, <laughs> after that horrible... <laughs> okay, today's flavor text of the day is Birds of Paradise from Corset 2011 or 2012 or... You know, it's been printed a few times. Yeah. It is, The gods used their feathers to paint all the colors of the world. Yara Tiva, warden of Grammar Forest. There you go. There we go. Let's get started, shall we? All right, so today we'd like to have a discussion with our viewers or, you know, with your friends. You can have a discussion with your playgroup, however you want to do this. But what we really want to talk about is the is color combinations in magic specifically in this episode we're going to talk about the guild colors just because two color decks tend to be pretty prominent mm -hmm. um and you know mono color is pretty obvious what strengths and weaknesses they have and when you get the three and four colors it kind of gets a little bit muddy so we decided to keep it to two colors each so we're going to talk about all 10 guilds today and we're going to talk about what we think is strong about the color combo, like what what does it do well, right? Mm -hmm. um, what does it do not so good? You know, what what hurts it? What's stopping it from running over the game? And what do we think that can be done slash you could do for your decks to help lessen that effect? Or what could wizards do to to make it better? Or should it be better? And that's what we'd like to talk about with you today. Woo! Mo? Woo! Alright, so the first color combo we want to talk about is Gruel. Gruel is the green-red guild. Smash! Smash, indeed. I remember doing that pre-release where the three adjectives oh, that they... describe Gruel were smash, smash, smash. I love that. That yeah. was so flavorful and... They did a good job with it. But that. that's really what they do. That is, is Gruul as a play style. Is Gruul's thing is, I'm going to play massive, massive, massive creatures that you're never going to be able to stop, and I'm just going to run through you no matter what your board is. Yeah, Broody, Brawny, Big Booty, Judy's. Bruticlad's not a Gruul. Oh, I was talking about, um, <laughs> like, Nikia. But... Yeah. So I think... I think that that's definitely the biggest strength of Gruul is that you do have access to two of the biggest creatures. Yeah, I can agree with magic that. In terms of green and red, especially because trample is a big keyword in green. Uh, I think another thing that Gruul really likes to do is kind of use spells that interact with your own creatures. For example, like pump them up a little bit or fight spells. And so I think that's another thing that Gruul does really well is using your creatures to generate advantage in some way. Also, the color combo, if you think about it, green provides ramp, red is just a fast color. So when you put those together, you get a relatively fast color combo that likes to hit the board really quickly and just punch someone out of nowhere. Uh, examples like Xenagos. Jason has a good experience oh, of that one. That's my one of my favorite commander decks that I have. You know, um, what's another good Gruul commander right now? Nikia. Nikia, yeah. We have a friend in our playgroup, uh, Connor has, has Nikia, and that, that deck is scary. That deck, you if you aren't on top of things, Nikia wins. Pretty much. Um, 
So yeah, I think I think the thing that Gruel is mostly lacking in is like advantage. Just just overall advantage. It's not gonna remove creatures that easily, except for through like burn spells and or fight fighting. spells. It's not gonna draw a lot of cards, except for maybe through some creature synergies. Only green. having big creatures makes you draw cards, or having to cast creatures can draw you cards, but you have to kind of build that into your deck. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think it struggles a little bit with dealing with evasive decks. So, for example, like flying... Red has some flying in it. Green, not so much. And, but green has reach. Yeah, exactly. And stuff like stuff that can't be blocked is kind of difficult to get through as well. Gruel is definitely a, um... I, I, I think of it as almost a selfish color mm-hmm. combo, because it's oftentimes when you play Gruel, it's not about, okay, what do my opponents have? It's more, what do I have? What can I do? It's not like a, oh, I'm gonna hold up this mana, and I'm gonna wait, and I'm gonna interact with this board. It's more like, I'm gonna just put this card out and have better advantage because it's bigger and because it can hit. And I think in that in that scenario, Gruel is kind of an all-or-nothing color. Like, you either have the pieces to kind of just be a big board presence that can't be stopped, or you're kind of just going to dirtle around and you're not going to have much. You're, maybe you have one or two big creatures and everyone else has, you know, you have a token deck with 20 little 1-1s, one but they all have Vigilance and Indestructible. Or you have, you know, a Spellslinger deck that's played 50 spells in one turn with an Aetherflux Reservoir, and you're sitting there going, oh... Cool, I have a big boy. Mm-hmm. I can't one-shot someone right now, but maybe next turn I can play a card that might draw me a card. And so I think the way to kind of counteract Gruel's weaknesses is, A, just make sure you have enough creatures in on the board at a time. You don't even necessarily have to have all your best creatures out, but just just make sure that you can kind of stabilize your board. And then in terms of tempo, just making sure that you have enough car, like card draw specifically. Gruel runs out of cards a lot. Yeah, because you're fast. You've got a lot of mana, so you generally play bigger things as opposed to playing a lot of you know mm-hmm. things. And so I think you want to run a lot of cards like Beast Whisperer and the Great Henge. Rich cards, expertise. Yeah, just making sure that you have enough ways to kind of hit the cards that you need to win the game. Yeah, and I feel like Gruel definitely like when you're playing Gruel, you know what can win you the game. Exactly. It's in your hand. You go, oh, I've got like a 5-5 five, five trample. I've got a 5-5 five, five, five trample card and I, I can give it infect. Or I have a, you know, I have a crater hoof behemoth in hand. And I don't have that many creatures, but they're all big already anyways. And and I think that's another thing about Gruel too, is that the decks tend to be less linear. They win in a larger variety of ways because... Everything's scary. It's it Yeah, everything's scary and it's all done through combat, which a 5-5 five, five is different, is the same no matter what creature it is so it it can use a bigger variety of your deck to win but i would say that's also kind of a weakness because it's very combat centric of a color but it has access to artifact and enchantment removal in green and it has access to ramp so i don't think it's nearly as bad as some of the other color combos that we're going to talk about in this instance of of what we're trying to get at but yeah yeah that's that's how I feel about Gruel, and I love it, and it's my favorite kill. All right, so the first one on my list is, is it, or is it really, or is it, or <laughs> is it not? I mean, that's the question, and honestly, that's kind of how the color combo plays. It's blue and red, um, very 
experimental themed, you know, that's just the philosophy of is it is, is you try something, if it doesn't work, you try it again or you try it differently. Um, and the color combo kind of exhibits that a little bit in that blue and red have access to a lot of kind of hasty card draw cards mm-hmm. and kind of churning through your deck. You also, is it has a, a lot of like spell slingy attributes to it or it has a lot of creative ways to deal with things. And I like that is it has kind of a versatility in that sense because you have stuff like Brutaclad, which is a deck that does tokens in colors that don't normally do tokens mm-hmm. by using spells that make tokens of things and then just permanently changing your things into other things. Or like Niv- Niv-Mizzix or Niv-Mizzit that just want to play... Not not Niv Mizzix, but I mean that would be kind of a funny. <laughs> that would actually be kind of kind of broken. But you know Mizzix or Niv Mizzit, any of the Niv Mizzix except the um, the five color one, of course. But where you want to play a lot of spells and draw cards, and you get advantage either through making your spells easier to cast, or by doing damage with it, or you know, just dealing with with that kind of stuff. And in that sense, I think is it has a very strong interaction with board states because you have counter spells you have card draw you can play kind of a little bit of the controlly part of it you could also play you know the spell slinger combo kind of deck you have a little bit of um choice there however i feel like is it if you can't counter that one big thing that you really don't want on the board it can kind of screw you over um and i think that that comes down to less of a I mean, it, of course, it's going to be important when you build your deck on how you pick your cards. But it also comes down to when you play your cards. Because if you're too hasty with your counter spells, you go, you know what, I don't want Jason to ramp. He played a Cultivate, I'm countering it. But then later on, he does play that Crater Hoof and Gruel, and it's going to kill me, and I don't have that counter spell. And I burned all my draw spells to try and, you know, get damage with Niv-Mizzet or get experience counters with Mizzix. And it's like, now I have nothing. Then that's it. I think the thing with Is It is that I if if I'm at the helm of an Is It deck, which is a very rare occurrence, because Jason doesn't play, blue. <laughs> uh, I kind of play it like I play a poker game. Is I can just draw a card and then pass my turn, play a land and pass my turn, and I have all this mana up, and my opponent thinks I have something, whether I do or not, only I know. And so I think I think Is It is kind of kind of something where your opponents need to expect the unexpected. I think is it has that kind of surprise element to it because I could have a huge counter spell or a huge draw spell or a huge mass board wipe at instant speed in my hand or I could have opt and that's it. Yeah. And so I th- I think just kind of that that bluffing element of okay, my opponents need to think about what's in my hand, what could I have in my hand, what could I cast right now? I'm crazy, but I have potential. And so I, I think it's that surprise element and that kind of instant speed interaction that it usually has that really makes it a strong guild. And you can see that very clearly in, like, the charm cycle. I mean, the charm cycle tend to kind of exhibit what the colors like to do. And if you look specifically at is it charm, being able to counter a spell or draw, you know, draw two, discard two, it, it does have that, you know, it has the flavor of I could do something, I could have something, but you'll never know. Until I do it. Exactly. So, is it? Good question. 
The next guild that we're going to talk about is Boros. Boros is the red-white guild. And I think it's kind of a common, like, thought among Magic players that Boros is the weakest. I don't necessarily see it. It's kind of the the quote-unquote runt of the litter to, mm-hmm. in people's eyes. And, like, I can understand why, because it's lacking two fundamental parts. It's lacking two fundamental parts of Commander, which are rampant card draw. And, like, when you look at 60-card formats, like Modern and Pioneer and stuff like that, you know... You don't need what, those. You don't need those. Because 1v1, you know, if you play ag- Boros Aggro, you dump your hand and you just kill someone on, like, turn 3. Or you play, you know, Boros Burn with Lightning Helix and they just die. But in Commander, 40 life, Lightning Helix isn't going to do anything. Well, and I have really. to do that to three people. I don't have to do that to just one person. Exactly. And so I think I think this the strengths of Boros definitely come in its aggressiveness. I think red and white kind of like to play a lot of low cost creatures that have value or low cost creatures that can get bigger over the course of a game. And I think they I think they just kind of try to chip away at people's life totals. You build an army, which is basically what Boros is. And and I and I think Boros also really likes to tap into making extra tokens i think i think boros tokens is a lot of is a very prevalent thing in terms of like humans and knights and i think there's a lot of tribal support in boros that really likes that token element there's also um a voltron element to it we've talked about voltron on our previous episode um but there are a lot of boros commanders or boros cards that care about equipment or mm-hmm. care about, you know, searching for equipment or whatnot. I mean, a lot of that's in white, but also red's a really good supporting color, especially since now we have Embercleave. Yeah. But, yeah, um, to touch on the the army thing, I mean, that it is scary to go against the Boros army, because generally, Boros, like, Boros has access to... Uh, generally, army. Huh. All right, Jason, armor. You made that joke. All right, yeah. But, um... They have access to, like, Boros Charm and, like, Teferi's Protection and uh, Unbreakable Formation and just cards that kind of, yeah, they have a, a bunch of 1-1s, but also, you can't touch them. Exactly. I think, I think not necessarily evasion, but I think protection is a better word, is that, all right, you're going to try and kill me? Oh, all my stuff's indestructible. Oh. Or, oh, I swing at you, you try, you go, oh, okay, I'm playing Boros, I'm going to swing, and someone goes, oh, well, I've got, you know, a 3-3, I'm just going to chump block it. And you go, oh, uh, I'm going to play a card that gives them all plus three, plus three, and indestructible. Okay, go on. Oops, my stuff has first strike, double strike, you name it. Yeah. Or you just play angels and, you know, kind of <laughs> kind of grind through the early game until you can play Avacyn. And so I, I think, similarly to Gruul, Boros likes to play a lot through combat. Whereas, Mainly. Whereas Gruul is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash face, and I'm just going to do that and just smash... I think Boros is like, things are not necessarily as they seem when Boros attacks you because you don't know what's in their hand or what could be enchanting creatures. And so I think Boros has other ways of getting around just the standard combat rules of magic. If you think about it from like, just like if you had to do it by a characteristic trope of understanding how the deck plays, uh, Gruul is like a pit fighter where they'll, they'll just kind of punch someone and smack them around 
and Boros tends to play a lot more valiantly, I guess you could say, where it's just like we're gonna charge in, we're gonna have, we're gonna unite, and we're gonna go at them. Teamwork. Yeah, and so Boros, of course, like we mentioned, struggles with rampant card draw. So sometimes it's hard to get off the ground, or if you make you make early plays, but then you run out of gas, mm-hmm. and that's been kind of the main debate. Also. One of the issues is that a lot of gruel, a lot of not gruel, a lot of Boros commanders are kind of a one-trick thing where they all do very similar things. You know, there's gr- some pretty good, you know, Boros commanders, but they almost all the they thing. all are combat centric. You have to attack to get their thing, or you have to deal combat damage to do their thing. And when we see commanders like, for example, Gerard, mm-hmm. Weatherlight Hero. Or Feather, the Wynota. Redeemed. Or Wy- well, Wynota has to attack, but Wynota is, you're, you're right. But, you know, when we see those kinds of cards, people go, wow, this card's really good. And it's actually, you know, when people build them. But when you look at stuff like, I mean, even though I love the card, when you look at stuff like Akiri, the, the new or the old Akiri, ultimately, it's all about equipment and smacking someone and just attacking. And, and I think Boros is one of the colors where it's really, really hard to come... Really, really countered. <laughs> it's really hard to come back from getting war wiped or, like, losing everything because you just... You don't have those cards in your hand anymore. And in Boros, it, you're not getting them back out of Grave. And so I, I think it's just ridiculously hard to come back if you don't win. To rebuild win, because... If it... you don't win when you're trying to win. Also... Stuff like like Firesong and Sunspeaker. Like, it's not a combat deck. It's an instant and sorcery deck that plays stuff like, um, like, um, what's the, what's the equipment called? Sunforger. Sunforger, yes. Jason won a Sunforger. That's pretty sick. But, you know, playing stuff like Sunforger, but, like, that's not a heavily supported, like, archetype. And while it's interesting and fun to build, it's not as good as maybe a Winota deck. Because Winota is just very strong. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I've noticed in Commander too. Is that like Boros, the good Boros commanders are good, and then the bad Boros commanders are really bad. Or they're just so linear. There's like you play it, and everyone's like, "Oh, I know exactly how to deal with it." And so I I feel like, with the exception of the main ones like the Feathers and the Winotas out there, you don't really see that many other like unique Boros decks. Yeah, and that's kind of the problem is, and I don't, so, like, to kind of pull this all together, people say that Boros needs rampant card draw, yes and no, I think it does, in a sense, but not unconditionally, because Boros, I mean, as a color combo, is, like, it's proven to be strong, it's just, it's linear, and when you give a color that's got one thing and does it good, and you give them the tools to make it better, then it just becomes super oppressive, especially in a color like white that has protection and destruction in it, and red that has just fast cards. And so, stuff like Mangara, Smothering Tithe, like... Sort of the Animist, even. Like, cards that aren't even in Boros. Belborka, the new Belborka. Like, stuff like that. Like, the problem is, is that they have to be used, you know, to kind of keep up with people. But on the other hand... If they did print cards that just are good with no condition at all in Boros colors, then 
those become staples and then that becomes a it becomes less choice in your deck and i think that that's the careful thing so in a sense i don't think that they should get that but i think they should get more unique play styles to make the color combo more fun and more unique rather than just oh i'm gonna play a, a couple one ones give them keywords or equip them and strike really 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 all right the next one is Golgari, or Golgari, or... Jolgeri. Jolgeri, or however you want to pronounce it. But I'm going to say Golgari for my sanity. Um, Golgari is a color that cares a lot about death. Golgari has a lot of... If, if you really think about it, most prominent Golgari commanders have something to do with something dying or taking something out of the graveyard. Mm-hmm. And... So that's generally where Golgari has its strengths. Um, Golgari likes to reanimate. I mean, you look at like the one of the number one Golgari commanders, which is Marin of Clan Neltoth, and she basically at end of turn just grabs a creature that you have in graveyard and either puts it in hand or puts it on the battlefield. And so you generally build your deck around that, whether you build aristocrats or just reanimator or. Um, just mass mass sacrifice you know there's a lot of ways you can toy around with that and that's where golgari is strong is that you could board wipe a golgari deck and they could just put it all right back mm-hmm. or you know because golgari has green for ramp black for removal green covers enchantment removal so that covers black's weakness but then it also has regrowth effects it has sacrifice effects etc so it's a pretty strong color combo but in the same i like to think of it kind of in the same way as i think of boros where it has kind of a linear strategy so i would say that like the main weakness to golgari is grave hate which there's a lot of it i mean graph digger's cage is a good example the juka bog um ley line of the void Hushbringer, even that stops death triggers mm-hmm. um there's just a lot of really easy splashable cards that are just generically good that halt the color combo and you have to kind of build around thinking okay when is my graveyard getting exiled when is my opponent going to just board wipe me and make sure i don't have a way to return and i think the thing with golgari is that yes there's a lot of stuff you can do sacrificing stuff at instant speed and having a lot of stuff but other than that there's really with the exception of like using black to destroy other people's creatures it's it's fairly low on the interaction skill, I would say, in terms of what it can do to other people's decks. I mean, I disagree because of, like... I mean, they do have, like, Assassin's Trophy, Abrupt Decay, you know. Removal-wise, I think they're fine. But generally, you're not going to be removing something because you think it's a threat. Because if it's a combat thing, you can just chump block it and bring everything back. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of, like, a... I don't want to deal with that thing, or that thing hurts me, so I get rid of it. And and I also think that Golgari is also significantly based on timing. When am I going to sacrifice my stuff? When am I going to bring it back? And so I think in that regard, it's, that's both a weakness and a strength, is that, yes, you can do your thing whenever you want, but your window of making it a good play is very small. But also, on that, on the opposite of that spectrum, too, is sometimes if you have something like Reassembling Skeleton, you can just do it, and, you know, 
it doesn't really hurt you that much because you don't have anything else to play maybe and then you can reanimate it and you maybe have a you know like a um uh blood artist or something i mean like everyone knows blood artist but or if you're me you'll just forget that you have a reassembling skeleton in your graveyard and just not do it do it ever but like <laughs> you know if you do it too early like really early in the game like generally it's not going to hurt you that bad yeah but it's like when you get to the late game where you've really regrown everything and you just keep going and keep going and you start to run out of gas by that point and you get ready to drop that living death yeah and then, and then something bad happens when you drop that living death. They, yeah, like they, for example, they flash in Sigarda. Mm-hmm. Or they exile your graveyard so you get nothing. Or they counter it. Or they counter you it. you get nothing. And so, yeah, I think that, like, I don't think Golgari needs anything printed for them to make it better. Because if you make it so that your grave can't be touched, I think that just makes the color too strong. Yeah. And green as a color is as a comp- like a color with other colors is already really strong in the same way that blue is. I think green is yeah one of the more versatile. Especially colors. in commander, I think ramp is really important, and being able to play artifact hate because you have green ramp makes it a very powerful color. So, I think Golgari should just stay the way it is, and you should just be careful with your deck building. Exactly. I I I think that Golgari is. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say average because it is very good and what it can. I wouldn't do. say it's even technically balanced either. Yeah, but I I would say that like what you see is what you get from Golgari. It like, definitely has checks for the deck. It does what you expect it to do and nothing more, nothing less. And it's kind of nice. So our next guild that we're going to talk about is Demir. The color combo that Jason wanted the pre-release with, even though he said he would never play blue. Eh. I think I think Demir is kind of like your stereotypical control guild in which blue and black kind of have their own like you can't do this or you can't have this. Yeah, it's, I I would say it's dirty control because I would say Azorius is like true That's true. like stop in the name of the law kind of control whereas Demir is like, "Oh, you're going to disobey me. I I kill your thing." Yeah. And so I I think that's kind of the strength of Demir is that it is very interactive and Tricky. you can stop your opponents from doing what they want to do. But in terms of Demir, it's it's pretty linear in the fact that you're kind of just playing around your graveyard or other people's graveyards and trying to mill them out and counter their spells. And so I, I think in that, uh, it kind of falls in the same weakness as Golgari in that you can get grave hated out of the game. Unless you're not caring about your graveyard. I mean, if it's your opponent's graveyards, then it's a little bit different but it's still str- like there are still are pretty obvious you know stopping points like if you are playing self mill you know getting grave hated sucks and i think another like kind of tenant around demir is this whole like evasion thing i'm gonna play ninjas that can't be blocked and i'm gonna play like flyers very and stuff sneaky like color that. i'm gonna just like sneak around your defenses and stab you in the back so while it's good at getting in for damage it doesn't hit very hard. And it also doesn't really... I, I, unless, besides removal, I would say it doesn't really stop damage that well either. Yeah, and I that's why I think it's... I think it it has the weakest defenses. If if you let your opponents kind of set up and get their board going, you're too far behind. That yeah, point. if you let them smack you around, then as a Demir player, you kind of just go, well, I guess I die. Whereas 
if you're playing the dirty Demir player, which is the way you should be, play dirty, and say, oh, no, counter that, oh, kill that, oh, you don't get to do that, oh, I draw three cards, you know, then you can kind of manipulate, uh, that's a good word, manipulate the board into a favorable outcome for you. And I, I think one of the the things that I don't like about Demir, and kind of just blue in general, but Demir specifically, is that people are always going to be looking at you to with, have the counter spell. Or, or to interact in general. And as a result, if Nick's playing Demir, and I have this big thing, and I'm like, is Nick going to counter it? Well, then I can just take care of Nick by killing him, and then I won't have to worry about his counter spells. Whether or not he actually has a board state or anything, or even has the counter spell, I don't know that. But and also on, on the opposite of that, too. I mean, what Jason said is completely true, and it is kind of that spooky moment of like, oh, they think I'm going to be the one to screw with everyone, so they're going to kill me, and that doesn't feel very good. But also, you are the one that can stop and kill everything. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, maybe you can't remove that that one. You can't remove someone's Sylvan Library because Demir doesn't really have any enchantment removal besides countering it. But you, I would say, you can but stop you can always counter it. You bounce it to their hands. Yeah. So it, it's it's a double edged sword where it's like, yes, I can control the board, but if I'm not doing it very well, then everyone's gonna assume that I can and then kill me first. Yeah. Um, I also think that personally, I think versatility wise. Demir has some fun tricks in their decks, and like the the whole dominance thing I was talking about earlier about just controlling the board of manipulation is seen through cards like Baleful Strix, for example. Mm-hmm. It's a two drop, it's a one one with flying and death touch. Which death touch on a one one, you don't really care about the one one because it's gonna kill whatever comes at you, and it can block flyers, and it draws you a card. That's mm-hmm. I mean, if someone on turn two plays a Baleful Strix, it's like, what am I going to do to them without sacrificing something that I care about? Yeah, and so I I think kind of the goal of Demir is I'm going to be the only one that plays meaningful magic. I'm going to take away all your stuff and all your things that you're trying to do, and I'm going to be kind of stabbing people in the back secretly until you're dead. Or I'm going to put it on my board. Or, yeah, I'll steal your stuff, too. Or I'll clone I'll your stuff. I'll definitely steal your stuff. Yeah, or I'll clone your stuff. Or I'll, you know, I'll get rid of my deck and I'll win the game with, like, Laboratory Maniac, Thassa's Oracle, that kind of stuff. You know, or I'll make your deck, but better. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so I, I think, again, Wizards doesn't really need to make Demir better. I think Demir as a color is very balanced in the fact that it has very strong strengths and very weak weaknesses. Yeah, every good counter spell that gets printed goes into Demir. Every good black removal spell goes into Demir. I mean, they just printed Feed the Swarm, mm-hmm. which is super helpful for a lot of color combos. And Drown in the Lock, too. Oh, and, and Drown in the Lock. Yeah, and it's like... Like, what are you supposed to do to make a color better when you're just giving them some of the best cards. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they should make it weaker either because like Jason said, there is a, it's a very de- like defined weakness. But I think they should just keep doing Demir the way they are except maybe a little bit more versatility in Commanders. A lot of them care about like mill reanimation copying stuff. But then you see stuff like Yuriko which is tribal but also it, it, it's flashy. 
I mean, the new Nimrus is all Flash. It's all caring about playing stuff not on your turn. And I think that's a good direction for the color combo. Yeah. Just see what you can do with the colors and the rules that you have. And bend them. And now it's time to pull from the knowledge pool. Tips to make Commander games more fun and more healthy. Hey, Jason. Hey, Nick. So I just finished building this uh, Demir Golgari, Demir Golgari deck. Um, <laughs> it's it's three colors, but like I just love both the guilds so much. So I threw them together, and I have I I guess it's called Sultai. I have a Sultai deck, but I don't know how to distribute my lands because there's just too many colors. How do I figure that out? Well, what you can do is go to Google. Type in MTG Land Calculator. There's there's quite a few different ones that'll help you, but they more or less use the same algorithm. Uh, type in how many lands you need, and then it'll have you go down the list by each color and count the mana symbols in the number of uh, count the mana symbols in the costs of all the cards you have, and then uh, slap that number into the machine for each color, and it'll be like, all right, you need six uh, islands, seven swamps, and ten forests for your Sultai deck. Well, that sounds like very little. You didn't tell me you were playing Commander. Fair enough. Make sure you type in the right number. But yeah, make sure you type in how many lands you actually do want to run in your deck. Of course, that's your personal choice in how you build your deck. But make sure that you put in all the numbers in the right places and it'll, it'll compute your numbers. And if you end up with, like, let's say 11 swamps and 9 islands and then the rest are forests, and you have, like... A command tower that you're gonna throw on there then that's where things come into personal choice on how you want to cut things yeah and I, I think I think that what the calculator is used for is not like you have to have this strict amount or your deck is gonna suck I think it's just kind of a benchmark to make sure you have the right amount of color like the right amount of each color that you're gonna be able to cast your spells yeah and so in that way I like to think of it like let's say black is my least supported color in the deck but I know I need access to it I would put in like let's say for let's say I'm putting in an overgrown tomb and um, what's the Demir shock? Watery grave. Yeah, yeah. That yeah one. Let's say I'm putting both of those in there, and I need because they both share black. I would take out two swamps and put them in there. Exactly. And then that way I have the same amount of black, black. but then also I have the two colors that I care about more. And then in that case, then later on, if I want to put in like a um, mana confluence or you know command tower i can cut from my green or cut from my blue so yeah go out there and make your mana and we'll put the link in the description too for the one that we like to use sometimes it's broken but i mean for the most part it works for us yes so. before end of turn i'd I have like a response yes jason hi hi before end of turn um i'd like to just say that I don't have that much going on in Magic, and neither does Jason, because, frankly, um, we're both kind of kind of locked up, you know? Yeah. I think everyone kind of understands what's going on, and your opinion on it, everyone's got their own opinions on it, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do to stay safe. So, we, we're just kind of, you know, brewing a little bit in our brains and seeing what we got, seeing what we can order and planning for the future. And figuring out what cool content we can make for you guys. Yeah, and... So, upcoming, I've got a box of Commander Legends that I pre-ordered that should be in the mail very soon. Jason's got his, and he's been sitting on it because we are going to do an opening party, but that seems to have been halted by 
um, unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. So what we will be doing, and what I have been doing, is posting more and more frequently on Twitter and Instagram. I've been trying to do that more and more. But, yeah, I've been, I'll, I'll post my polls. I'll post Jason's polls. And uh, share with us what you'd like to see from us. Let us know um, if you pull anything really cool out of Commander Legends. Tell us how you're going to use it. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and then if you are an audio listener, definitely check out our YouTube. Follow us on, uh, or subscribe to us on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and if you are a YouTube listener, I mean, you don't have to li- to follow us on Spotify or any of our, you know, anything else that has us. But if you do, we'd very much appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I don't know if any of you saw the tweet that I made, but if we hit 100 subscribers, I will in fact eat a freshly mint copy of Bake Into a Pie on video. That'll be fun. And just to up the ante, if we hit, what was the number you wanted to hit? 100K. 100K? I thought it was 50K. 50K. If we hit, okay, cool. If we hit 50K subscribers, Jason will, on a live stream, say every single magic card in alphabetical order. Including the unhinged cards. I'll even say the basic lands. I'll say forest. And I do have a job too, which is getting Jason Taco Bell. But... Totally worth it for what he, what the task, the Herculean task he was given. So if you want to stay up with me, this is, could be some interesting times ahead. Oh, Jason's going to lose his mind. But it's all for you guys, and it's for your enjoyment, ultimately. Maybe not for ours, but... I mean, it'll be enjoying. It'll be funny. But, yeah, so definitely uh, check out the links in our description, um, and we'll see you next time on... Untap. Upkeep. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Alrighty, so since Commander Legends officially released, or I guess we're opening this on Thursday, so technically it hasn't released yet, but since it is releasing, we get our hands on Commander Legends pack, so let's go ahead and crack it. Oh, Jason, you're the one doing the ASMR today. Except for, like, barely any sound. Also, my hands are sweaty. This might be a difficult pack to open. Yo, I'm so I'm so excited. There's so many good cards in this set. Like, I, I'm sure you guys have seen... A lot of content creators talk about it, so I'm sure you know like what what the chase cards are. But you want to help your brother out? You struggling? <laughs> My hands are too sweaty. Mom's spaghetti. Yeah, we did it, boys. All right, let's go through it. So do I flip this over and that's commons? There you go. All right, sweet. All right, so commons, commons, commons. Any good commons? Um, I got Gift of Paradise. I don't know how much that's going for these days. I got a Sky Diamond and an Elvish Visionary. Oh, so I actually need one of these. Ooh, Findhorn mm-hmm. Elves. I'm so glad they printed that again. Same thing with Fleshbag Marauder at Common. Commander Sphere. Popper Gang. All right, are you on Commons already? Yeah. Oh, okay. I got two Findhorn Elves in the same pack. Damn. All right. Uh, Shimmer Mirror. Feast of Succession. Sifter Worm. Arcane Signet, baby! Dang, nice, nice. Next. Ooh, oh, wait. The dragons. We both got mythics. Nice. I got, I got uh, Mnemonic Deluge. I got Hellkite Courser. Oh, that's crazy. All right, let's go. And? Tormod. Ick to kick. I love him. Golems, baby. Salvage Splicer. All right, last card in, this, in the pack. No, we have foil after that. Oh. I got Jalanra. Right. I got Brenolin, the Moon Kraken. And then the As foil. in Kraken this pack. What did you get? It's a safe string. Oh, <laughs> you got me. I got a spoil. I got a Sears knife. 
Elmo's a piper. Oh, Jason. Oh, baby. All right, Jason. It looks like I owe you some money. You got a piper. 